Today I'm going to tell you a story. We're going to actually going to look in Scripture at a story about a military believer. Now, the message today is going to have an application directly for you if you're in the military. Uh, but it's going to have an application to our church because we are a church in a military community. We are in a community that is actually the most military populated community in the world, literally. And so the story that I'm going to tell today is actually a story about a military believer. It's a well-known story in the Scripture. It's a story about a military family and the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of God's grace in that military family through the church. And so we're going to look at that story. Now, if you're not military, you say, well, I'm going to just, um, I don't have to listen that well because this doesn't apply to me. No, anytime that we study Scripture, anytime Scripture is expounded, anytime we um, have a quiet time, we meditate on Scripture, the Holy Spirit always has a message for us. Um, the Word of God is alive and active. That means it is, it is, um, it is living, it is working, Hebrews 4.12 says, 1 Peter says, it is enduring, it is abiding, it is here with us today, the Word of God, which transforms us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says that the Word of God is alive and working in the hearts of those who believe. So anytime we come as a church family and we open Scripture up, even if it doesn't, some subject of Scripture doesn't have directly something to do with us, the Holy Spirit has a message for us. I've been a pastor now 30 years, and it's always amazed me how you can preach a message, and, and then you know, afterwards you can see people in the hall, or maybe they'll send you a note the next week and say, man, it was so great what you said about so-and-so, and I'm sitting there thinking, did I say that? I don't think I said that. But it's translated, and the Spirit of God is speaking to each one of us a customized message about what we need to hear. And I want to encourage you this morning, something I'm going to mention right now, and I'm going to mention it also at the end of the message, that our staff is praying for a deeper movement of the Holy Spirit in our church. We are praying for God to awaken us, for God to quicken us, for God to break us and give us a greater heart for the lost of our community. And specifically, what I'm going to be talking about this morning is the loss among the military. And so let's look in Acts chapter 10. Now, Acts chapter 10 is hard for me. Don't panic because I say we're going to... Steve asked me this morning, do you have any PowerPoint slides? I said, no, because I don't really know what I'm preaching. He said, oh, okay. <laughs> no, I do know what I'm preaching. I just don't know exactly what I'm preaching because there's so many verses. And we're going to actually look at the entire chapter uh, 10 of, of Acts and to look at this story of a military believer. And we're not going to look at all the verses, obviously, because we don't have that much time. But we are going to look at a good number of verses throughout Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is the story of Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion that is mentioned in the New Testament. The New Testament actually mentions over 20 centurions. And without exception, all of those mentions are of centurions who had a positive response toward the gospel. 
One of the commentaries I read this week actually said the fact that the centurions um, gave a positive response to Jesus and the gospel and the apostles probably was a sign of the Christian movement at work among the military of Rome. And that's one of the things we're going to see as we look in this particular passage today about Cornelius. Now, Cornelius uh, in Acts chapter 10 is mentioned, and then he's not mentioned again by name. He's referred to in Acts chapter 11, for example, Acts chapter 15. But he's not mentioned again in the New Testament, even though his conversion and the conversion of his household was a very significant event in the life of the church. Cornelius was the first Gentile believer in the church. Isn't it interesting that God chose a military man as the first Gentile to be admitted to the church? And God chose a military family to be the first Gentile family to come into the church. Acts chapter 10 says uh, a little bit about the identity in the first part of chapter 10 of Cornelius. It says that he lived in Caesarea. Now, Caesarea was on the coast. It was a very important community. It was actually a capital, the capital of the Roman province of Judea. It was the home of a large army garrison, so there were a lot of military there. Caesarea was, in a very real sense, very much like Hampton Roads. We are a port community. We are a significant community on the East Coast, and we are a military community. This is the Holy Spirit at work in a military community. The Holy Spirit is still at work in military communities like Virginia Beach and Chesapeake and Norfolk and Hampton and Newport News and Jacksonville, Florida, San Diego, California, Oceanside, California. The Holy Spirit is at work among lost people through believers, through churches, through ministries, through chaplains, and He is at work to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to military and military families. So Cornelius was at Caesarea. Notice in the text it doesn't say he was from Caesarea because military people don't talk that way. They're never from somewhere. When you ask them, they're always at somewhere. Many military are displaced. I remember a friend of mine, a lady, uh, she was married to a guy who retired as a colonel in the Air Force, and they were attachés the last several assignments of their military service. And she said that when they went to the Philippines to be an attaché, that they were asked um, to put down on a piece of paper in case they had to be evacuated, where they would be evacuated. And she said, for the first time in a long time, I realized I had no home. I did not know what to put down on the paper. Because her parents were deceased and her husband's parents were deceased and her brothers and sisters and his brothers and sisters were scattered everywhere and she said, I felt like I had no home. That oftentimes is the way military people are and how they feel. So here is Cornelius in Caesarea, a military community. He is a centurion. A centurion was a person who commanded, a man who commanded a hundred troops. The typical Roman legion was 6,000 men made up of 10 cohorts of 600 men each divided into groups of 100. So every cohort had six centurions. Every legion had 60 centurions. And many of the commentators point out that centurions were the backbone of the Roman military. Cornelius had a significant position in the military. 
The scripture tells us here in verse 1 that he was of the Italian cohort. Now, the Italian cohort was a cohort actually made up of the most loyal troops of the Roman military that had their origin in Italy. So, most likely, Cornelius and his family, that are mentioned a little bit later in the text, had been planted in Caesarea from Italy a long way from home. The scripture tells us in verse 2 that he was a devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continue. It sounds very spiritual. He was a Jewish proselyte or a semi-proselyte. He was not circumcised. He'd never gone through that rite, so he was still considered to be a Gentile. That's why I say Cornelius and his family were the first Gentiles into the church. This is a very significant passage. But he feared God. He adopted the Jewish religion. He most likely attended uh, synagogue worship. And to the best of his ability, he was pursuing the knowledge that he had been given to this point in time about what it means to serve God and to be obedient to God. But he was not yet a Christian. Now, the question is, because this is somewhat unusual, you know, you see in various passages of the New Testament, you see other centurions that respond uh, positively to Jesus, but you don't see anybody like Cornelius who was actually a person who was pursuing a relationship with God and seeking to be obedient to God. And, And the question I would ask myself is, why was he open to spiritual things? And I... As I think about that, I think about all the military people that I've had a chance to pastor through the years, uh, 20 years as a senior pastor, 10 years now at Norfolk, First Baptist Norfolk, uh, for over 30 years uh, uh, ministering to people in the United States Army, the United States Air Force, and now all branches of the service. And as I think about many of those individuals, some of whom did not come from church backgrounds, who knew nothing about the gospel, Many of them were open to spiritual things, and perhaps Cornelius was open for the same reason. One, military are uprooted, and they live in places where there's oftentimes no extended family anywhere nearby. Many military are lonely. Many of them are searching for family. Many of them are searching for community. Just um, last week, I think I mentioned briefly coming in from an out-of-town trip, a conference I was at, and I was sitting on the airplane, and I heard a young sailor sitting behind me um, using all kinds of language, so I figured out he probably wasn't a Christian. But um, he was, uh, turns out to be 19 years old, coming fresh from boot camp. And when we got off the plane I, and we got in the airport, I had a chance to go up and, you know, introduce myself, said, hey, I'm a military pastor. And he said, oh, 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 oh okay. And so... Um, Figured he was very unchurched, and so we got down to where we get our luggage, and um, and then uh, I spoke to him again, and he said, "I don't know what I'm going to do. The person who's supposed to pick me up, my sponsor, is not going to be able to come out here." I said, "Well, look, I know you don't know me, but somebody's picking me up. Um, we'll be glad to take you to the to the base where you go." And he said, "Little Creek," and so we did. We took him to Little Creek. It took about an hour and a half because nobody was on duty. And we had to wait for somebody to come to the barracks. 
they gave him a room. We uh, took him to his room. I helped him get his stuff up, and I thought as I left, here's a 19-year-old young man who's never been to Norfolk, and he comes to the airport, and there's nobody to greet him. And he didn't really know how to say thank you, but he said to me, I don't know what I would have done if y'all hadn't have helped me. That's how a lot of people that are in the military, especially young 18 and 19-year-olds, feel. As they're constantly uprooted in pursuit of their duty of serving in the military. Military can be a hard life. Deployments, discipline, transitions. I was just recently down at Fort uh, Campbell and had uh, dinner with uh, a couple of pastors um, and the garrison chaplain at Fort Campbell. And the, the chaplain said, we have so many of our soldiers who have 15, 16, 17 years in the Army who've come back from a recent deployment. And um, their wives have said to them, it's either me or the Army. Choose. Because he said some of them have been on seven and eight and nine deployments. Paul, when he is writing in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, he gives various analogies about what it's like to serve, uh, to be a disciple maker. And he says, Timothy, I want you to take the, the gospel that I've transferred to you and I want you to pass it on to the next generation in such a way that they can pass it on to the next generation. And then he said, I'm going to tell you what that's going to be like. And he used three illustrations. One was what it means to be an Olympic athlete training to win a gold medal. He said, that's what it's really like to make disciples. You've got to have the same kind of discipline." that an athlete has. He used a second illustration. He said, you're going to have to be like a hard-working farmer. And I come from a farming family. All my relatives farmed down in Alabama. And so I remember those years when I grew up on the farm, spending the night with my cousins. And they would get up at 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning, and they would work all day and still be working when the sun went down. Paul said that's what it's like to make disciples. That's what it's like to reproduce uh, reproducers in the church. And then he gave this illustration. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. You see, to be in the military means that you embrace a life of difficulty. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Oftentimes I find that people in the military, and this is not true of just people in the military, when people go through trials, in fact, if you're here today and you're going through a trial and you have a temptation to get bitter, don't get bitter. Just realize this, that God often works through difficulty to bring you to a place of openness. C.S. Lewis once said that God whispers on the mountaintop, but he screams in the valley that pain is God's megaphone to get our attention. When these young men and women come back from Iraq and Afghanistan, just as they did in other wars, many of them have been profoundly touched by bad experiences, and their hearts are open to spiritual things. And perhaps... Cornelius in the lifestyle of being in the Roman military, which I'm sure was much 
much more difficult than even our day and age because there's no Facebook. There's no um, calling your spouse from a phone on the battle line. My father was in the, uh, the uh, Korean War, and he left and was gone for 13 months, and my mother did not, did not see him or talk to him. They wrote each other every day. The Roman military, I'm sure, was tough. Well, it says here that Cornelius was a man who was seeking to please God. Maybe it was because of that difficult life. You know, that makes it um, important for us to understand in terms of outreach to people in the military that one of the ways that we can touch their lives is just by trying to understand the kinds of things they've been to and to realize that they're going to be open to spiritual things in some ways that maybe people who have not been through difficulty are not going to be. God uses difficult things to make us open. Combat trauma, post-traumatic stress, the death of friends. He orders and orchestrates different circumstances to intersect our lives with the gospel. In fact, God brought Cornelius to Caesarea so that he could hear the message about Jesus. Cornelius was, from his background, was from a place in the world that did not have a significant gospel witness for many, many years. And through the providence of God and through the sovereignty of God, God chose to use the Roman military to bring Cornelius and his family to Caesarea, which is in Judea. And Luke had just said, quoting Jesus in chapter 1, verse 8, You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the world. And through the sovereign selection of God, he chose Cornelius to be stationed in Judea. How many soldiers and sailors and marines, as well as other people that move from places, because our society is a very mobile society, how many people have moved from a place where they had no access to a significant gospel witness and moved to be your neighbor, or moved to be a co-worker, or moved here in service to the United States military, and God's divine plan was to move them here so that we could tell them about Jesus. God was working in this story to open Cornelius' heart, and he was working to prepare the Apostle Peter so that Peter would go to Caesarea, a military town, just like Hampton Roads, and he would preach the gospel to people who did not know it. I'm finding people in our society in general, in the, in the statistics and the people that are writing about these things are saying that we're becoming less and less of a church society and more and more people are, are our neighbors and in, even in the Bible Belt and places like Virginia or Alabama that just have no significant understanding of the gospel. 
Through the years, I remember um, soldiers, for example, years ago, down in Fort Rucker, Alabama, my first church, a young German pilot who came to Fort Rucker, um, and I believe he came there primarily to meet Jesus. But the German army sent him there to be an exchange student to learn to fly helicopters at Fort Rucker, the center of army aviation. And through some friends, we met him and began to pour our lives into him. And he knew nothing about the gospel. He had no background whatsoever. And over time, we shared with him and he got saved. And you know what? He is a missionary today with Mission Aviation Fellowship. And has served for over 25 years as a pilot who flies missionaries in to dangerous places. And it was because of God's sovereign selection to send him from Germany, a place where he had no witness in his family, to a little southern town called Fort Rooker where there's churches on every little corner so that he could hear the story about Jesus. How many sailors are there? How many marines are there? How many military spouses in the plan of God are sent to our area and live in proximity to our church that God has sent them here not just to serve in the military, but He has explicitly sent them here so that they may hear the good news about Jesus and be saved? Cornelius was a man who was seeking. He wasn't yet saved. He was responding to the light that he had. Verse 3 says, about the ninth hour on a particular day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now, this does not mean that Cornelius' righteousness or his attempt to be godly without knowing Christ was acceptable to God because we know that the Bible teaches that all of our righteousness is like a filthy rag in the presence of God. We cannot be saved by our good works. We cannot be saved by praying. Cornelius prayed continuously. Cornelius gave offerings to the poor. Cornelius had a good reputation among the Jewish people who generally hated Gentiles, thought they were unclean, and and even more hated military because the military are the ones that carried out the crucifixion of Jesus. Cornelius was doing a lot of right things, but all of those right things did not merit salvation. It simply means he was seeking. And the Bible over and over again says, Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. It says those who come to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Jesus often told people to seek God. Here's the point. Whenever we seek Him, as Jeremiah 29 says, with all of our hearts, we will find Him. And Cornelius was seeking God through prayer. And an angel appeared before him and gave him instructions. And so as a result of those instructions, in verse 5 it says, Dispatch the men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. 
When the angel who was speaking to him had left, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier, probably a soldier that had been influenced by the leadership of Cornelius. Because that's what leadership is. It's influence. A devout soldier of those who were his personal attendants. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now notice here that Cornelius responded to the revelation he was given immediately. You may be here today and God has spoken something to you, but he has not explained the whole story to you. And you're waiting because you want to get more information. That was not what Cornelius did. Cornelius was not told all the details. He was just said, send some men to go and get Simon Peter. And immediately he called him in and he sent one of his soldiers on TDY. For those of you who are not military, TDY, temporary duty, or Navy is TAD. God even uses TDY to accomplish his purpose. At this same time, Peter is in Joppa, which is a town of 30 miles away, and he is praying on the roof under an awning. He goes up to pray at noon, waiting for lunch to be served, and he has a vision. The vision uh, in verses uh, 9 and following is of a large sheet coming down, and it's filled with all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds, And a voice comes to him and says, Peter, verse 13, kill and eat. And Peter, of course, is offended by this because being a devout Jew, he has never eaten anything unclean. And Jews had strict rules and laws about what was clean and what was unclean. And so, obviously, some of the animals in this vision were unclean. And so for three times, and notice here Cornelius, he obeyed immediately obeys Peter, who was more spiritual and knew the Lord. It took him three times before he responded. And then it says in verse 17 that Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what the vision he had seen might be. And behold, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, uh, having asked directions for Simon's house, appear, appear to the gate. Isn't that amazing how these circumstances work out? So God gives Cornelius a vision and tells him to go get Simon Peter. Simon Peter is one of the apostles, messenger of God. At the same time on the next day, right before the men get there, going 30 miles to get Simon Peter, Simon Peter has a vision and he is told about eating food that previously to him was unclean. This is not about food, this is about Fellowship with Gentiles, which Jews didn't do. Jews did not visit a Gentile. Jews did not eat in the home of a Gentile. Jews did not eat any food that was prepared Gentiles because Gentiles were dirty. Gentiles were dogs. And so Peter is reflecting, verse 19, on the vision. The Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. But get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings, for I have sent them myself. Now, isn't this amazing? The Holy Spirit sent the Apostle Peter to witness to a man in the army. He sent him to a military community. Because let me tell you something, God has a heart for military. 
He has a heart for military not just because he loves people in general. He has a heart for military because it is strategic to reach military with the gospel. And you see, God is all about advancing his gospel in the world. In fact, a little bit later in Acts... um, Paul is arrested, Acts chapter 21, and for five years he is with and under the Roman military with various groups of military. And then in Rome he's with somewhat like the special forces, the Praetorian Guard, 9,000 to 16,000 strong. And he is preaching the kingdom of God, teaching unhindered about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes the prison epistles and he says to the Philippians, I want you to know that my circumstances, that is being with and under the military, have actually turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that the entire Praetorian Guard has heard about Jesus. God loves all people. But let me tell you something. God is strategic. In fact, Paul talks about it in Scripture. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. In describing his relationship with Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, he said, he served with me as a child serving his father in the furtherance of the gospel. You see, every church needs to ask this question. How can we most strategically advance the gospel? We are here to advance the gospel in the world. That means uh, making Jesus known in certain arenas, in certain geographical locations. That means baptizing new converts. That means discipling new believers. That means planting new churches. That means bringing the kingdom of God to an area where the kingdom of God has not been. And that's what God is into. Our church has to ask the question, what is the most strategic way we can advance the gospel? And I'll tell you, one of the most strategic ways we can advance the gospel in Norfolk, Virginia, is by winning and building and sending people in the United States military. You see, for our church, military ministry is a very strategic ministry because it is one of the most strategic ways we can advance the gospel in the world. I believe that is why God decided to save Cornelius. It's interesting that in all the commentaries I read, most of the commentaries, I've read them before because I love the book of Acts and I love to talk about military for the book of Acts. But in all the commentaries, they refer to Cornelius you know, being a centurion and what centurions done. He was in the army and everything. But nobody ever pointed out the strategy of the Holy Spirit in deciding to initiate salvation for Cornelius because he was in the military. God has a heart for military people. Let me tell you something. God has a plan to reach military communities. He's sending his apostle Peter to Caesarea, a very key military community in the Roman Empire. And he's sending him there to be a witness to a very significant leader in the Roman military. So Peter goes, he meets Cornelius. And notice what Cornelius says in verse 22. He says, 
uh, Cornelius, or they say about Cornelius, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. He was divinely directed. Listen, let me tell you something. When we bring the good news of Jesus to the sailors and the marines and the soldiers and so forth that come here literally from the ends of our nation and from the four corners of the world, it is a divine message that we're sharing with them. Just like Peter didn't get it at first, I think sometimes we don't get it. We don't understand where we live. We don't understand the strategy that we have been given. We don't understand the strategic stewardship that God has entrusted to us to reach the nations through the lives of transformed military people by the power of God in the gospel of Jesus well, Peter gets to Caesarea the next day. Look at verse 24. He gets there. Now, I'll tell you, Philip Herring, I don't think Philip's heard this because he's upstairs, but Philip Herring would be very glad because, to hear this because Cornelius had already started his small group even before he was saved. Cornelius had gathered his friends and his close relatives, and Peter says, or Luke says of Peter, that uh, when they got there, verse 27, he found many people ascended, uh, assembled. You see... God saved Cornelius not just for Cornelius, but for other people. Did you know that? That when God saved you, it was not just for you. It was for others. That's why in the New Testament, you often see when somebody gets saved, they immediately start evangelizing. Why? Because that's the heart of God. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Whenever a church is on fire in love with Jesus, I'll tell you what, they're on fire for the lost. Why? Because God saved us to be an instrument of His salvation. Now, Peter gets there. He talks to Cornelius in, um, a little bit later here in um, chapter uh, 10. They have some exchange. And then down in verse 37... Peter shares the gospel. He says, You know Jesus, verse 38, of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, he went with power. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. He says, We're witnesses of these things. They, they killed him. They hung him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day. He became visible. We, as his apostles, verse 41, ate and drank with him. He ordered us to preach to the people. Do you know that God has ordered our church to preach to the people of this region? Do you know that God has ordered us, He has commanded us, He has authorized us, we are His ambassadors, we are on His mission. This is not something we can say, we don't think we'll do this. We can't say that. And then Peter says in verse 43, Of him all the prophets bear witness and through his, that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Church family, that is such a beautiful verse. Everyone who believes in his name receives forgiveness of sins. Do you realize this, that when you believed on Jesus, all of your sins were forgiven, past, present, and future? You receive forgiveness in His name. That is the good news of the gospel. That is what Cornelius didn't know. That is what 
so many people in the military and otherwise do not know. Notice what happened here. This always happens when the gospel is preached. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to his message. And chapter 11 says that they believed in the name of Jesus and then they received the Holy Spirit. All the circumcised believers, that is the Jewish believers, six of them, chapter 11 tells us, came with Peter to witness this because this was the Gentile Pentecost. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the, on the Gentiles also. This is what they saw. They were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay a few days. You know what happened here? A church was born. One of the most exciting things that can happen in a church is when the church sees new babies born. I want to ask you as we wind this up this morning, our staff is praying for a deeper movement of the Holy Spirit in our church. We are praying for more brokenness in our church. We are praying for a greater sense of urgency about sharing the good news of Jesus with the lost. What do we need to do from what God has said to us this morning? How do we need to respond? What an amazing opportunity we have as a church planted in this community and people from all over the nation and from many nations coming to our church, many of whom have no significant witness of the gospel where they have come from. What an amazing responsibility and privilege we have. So how are we going to respond? What do we need to do about this? Maybe you're here today and you have never believed in Jesus. Maybe you're like Cornelius and you've been just, uh, you know, just trying to be righteous and trying to go to church and trying to do all these things and you have never heard this truth that says everyone who believes in His name, period, receives forgiveness of sins. What an amazing gospel we have. It is a treasure. And we must do everything within our power, including pouring out all of our energy, pouring out all of our time. We must do everything within our power to see that that gospel permeates Hampton Roads and the world. Father, I pray today that you would do a new work in us. I pray that you would break us, Father. I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would bring awakening and renewal to our church family. That we would have a deeper passion. That we would have a greater burden. That we would be broken. That we, would, we could not sleep. We could not eat. Because we want to please Christ. And do whatever is necessary for others to know Him. Do that, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Come forward if you need prayer.